Hi, Mel. Hi. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank um, you. Where are you based? In Toronto, Canada. Nice. Wow. Canada looks amazing. How long have you, have you been there all your life or have yeah. you ever lived anywhere else? No, my um, entire life. Yeah. And do you like living in Canada? I do. I do. I love this city. So yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm partial to cities. I like getting away, but I like being in the middle of all the action. But there's plenty of nature around Canada, isn't there? There so is. There is. Plenty of areas to escape from the city yep. if you do need to. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And you're also a mum. I am. Yeah. And, um, and two children? Two. Uh, my eldest is going to be 21 next week. Wow. And my son will be 15. Yeah. And how is it being a mum? Um, two boys it's it's a journey (laughs) it's a journey yes um every stage you know you experience new things um now that my daughter is an adult um it's a different relationship um and i love it because i can relate to her as an adult Um, and with my son you know he's it's it's different i find that he's um he still needs me, but in a different way. So yeah. it's more so that I've become a guide. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I get that. M- me and my mom have a very similar relationship probably to you and your daughter. She's literally my best friend. Um, and my brother needs, yeah, a different kind of love. Yeah. But but we, we always need our moms. Yeah. So well, always. <laughs> I hope so. I hope always, so. Always, always. <laughs> Um, so thank you for sharing a little bit more about you. I think that's really helpful. Um, and thank you for coming on here today and being brave enough to share a little bit more about your experience with mental health. Um, I think it would be good to start by asking you what exactly is your mental health journey and what it is that you suffer with in, you know, in terms of mental health. Okay, so um, I'm diagnosed with bipolar one um, and anxiety. Usually that kind of goes hand in hand, I find. Um, I also was diagnosed with an eating disorder when I was younger, um, so with anorexia. Um, Currently, um, I would say that I'm really stable and I have like minor blips but for the past eight years um I've found medications that work really well I find a lifestyle that works really well for me um and I think the biggest driving factor behind all that is that I have kids um that I have to be well for yeah um excuse me um so yeah like um i do get periods i do i do have a tendency to swing higher than lower um i the seasons affect me quite a bit yeah um, 
So during the winter months, I do really have to make sure I stick with my routine, um, even when I don't want to. But as soon as the spring comes, I do start to feel a little bit more elevated, which is common with bipolar. Um, so I just have to kind of stick to what I know and watch out for my triggers. Um, and I've done a fairly good job of men maintaining um, yeah. an even keel, so to speak. So when you talk about triggers, I personally get hugely affected by seasonal affective disorder, which is kind of what you're talking about here, yeah. which is the changes in seasons. Um, so obviously the season changing is, is a big trigger for you. Is there anything else that it would you, that you would say is a trigger? Oh, wow. Um, having a lot of um, obligations on my plate or stress. Like if my, if my plate gets full, if I'm in the process of doing something for my kids, um, if I have a lot of deadlines to meet, I start to feel that anxiety and I start to rev up. Like, so usually it's lack of sleep. Um, yeah. That really triggers it. Like if I don't get yeah. at least eight hours, I'm, yeah. I'm really like, and if it happens a couple nights in a row, it throws me off. Um, yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh, like alcohol will do that as well. Um, you know, many people have chosen not to drink because it's a huge trigger for them. I think over the last eight years, um, at first when I was stabilizing from my last, I would say severe manic episode, I had cut drinking out altogether. Um, but I will drink on occasion. Um, but I definitely know my limits. Um, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah, I, I think that's quite common amongst uh, in individuals who suffer with bipolar, you know, sleep and and definitely alcohol. Right. When you just spoke a little bit about your last um, severe manic episode, would you mind going into that a little bit more and and what that would look like? Because I think a lot of people listening to this, bipolar is a really, I feel like a, quite a misunderstood disorder and people just assume it's people with, you know someone that's just got mood swings or even people think it's split personalities so I think if you could explain a little bit more about that episode it, it would be really helpful for people to get understand the disorder a little bit better um okay so the, my last episode was over 10 years ago um, it took me a very long time to stabilize about 24 months Wow. Um, it was a train wreck. Like if somebody explained to me um, my story, I like, I, I don't know if I would believe it. Um, I, and you know, I can see why people would think that it's a split personality um, because I did actually become a different person. Like my behavior was totally, um, not not reflective of who I really am. Um, so I developed psychosis. Would you mind? 
would you mind talking a little bit about yeah. the psychosis? Because I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand either. Okay. So, you know, at the, at the start, um, you know, I was hypomanic, felt great, was getting a lot done, you know, was quite active, was involved with the kids' uh, school, and then it kept escalating. And basically, my hypomania goes zero to 100, um, meaning that I go hypomanic and then manic within a short period of time. So mm. usually, it's about two weeks. Um, mm. Mania brings on a lot of anger for me impaired judgment like when i'm manic i will smoke i don't smoke yeah. you know just like really yeah. odd behaviors i'm not a drinker i've never been like an like a drinker that yeah. um like i said it's occasionally and it's it's a very social and i will drink a ton so you know here i am manic yeah. drinking yeah. Yeah. and basically heading into this spiral um, yeah. so when i say that i made decisions that i would never have made um i left home wow. i literally left home um and where did you go so at first I was staying at someone's place that was a support, um, yeah. but that became very uncomfortable. Um, yeah. I would not stay at my parents' place because it did not feel like a safe place um, mm -hmm. now or when I was a child. Um, and so for some of that time, I ended up then going to a hotel Wow. And you would just yeah. be in this pattern of, of destructive behavior I, and, oh, yeah. whilst in the hotels. Yeah. And, and so you, you mentioned like then an interesting point about your parents and the fact that they never felt like a safe space, not even when you were younger. Could you kind of expand on that a little bit and why they didn't feel safe at home? Um. So I lived in a generational home I had at one point my great-grandmother my grandmother and then my parents living with us um, so there was a lot of different schools of thought on how to raise a child of how a child should behave um, I had a I had a probably a complicated upbringing there was a lot like I um, I developed acute asthma um, I had surgeries starting when I was about, I was almost eight. And basically every couple of years after that. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of always felt different. It was really hard to fit in. Um, my parents, like I'm mixed, I'm of a mixed race. Um, so I never quite fit in with my mom's side of the family and I didn't quite fit in with my dad's side of the family. I just, you know, so I, I felt different. Um, and uh, yeah, like it was just, it was, it was just a very um, unusual yeah. upbringing. Like my, my grandmother, so I became my grandmother's confidant. <laughs> she only spoke Italian. So I learned how to speak Italian fluently. Um, 
And, you know, I was put in situations where a child, you know, shouldn't be hearing certain stories, shouldn't be involved in. Um, yeah. So it was, it was, it was difficult. Was yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I, I can't imagine how that must have felt. And it is quite interesting because you mentioned about having an eating disorder at a young age, which is something that I experienced as well um specifically anorexia how did your parents deal with that what was the support if any that you received from them and 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 what was that journey with anorexia because I know from my experience being anorexic at you know at a young age when you you're a teenager you're becoming a your, your body's changing you know there's all the hormones involved it's it's a very very difficult time but then even more so difficult when you haven't really got a support system around you right so do do you remember a little bit about that and how how you were able to get the support so um the support okay so um there was always an issue with food and control since I was a child like a young child um there was medication that I was on to control my asthma, which we found out in the 90s that certain steroids made children very hyperactive and suppressed appetite. So there was always this constant conflict and my family, their love language is food. And so I was constantly being pushed to eat. And I just didn't have an appetite. Um, And it wasn't because I was actively trying to control that it was because I just didn't feel hungry yeah um and then I started competing um, in gymnastics and um I did write a piece a brief piece on it and I had it posted to Instagram and um I was never we were weighed in at that time and I was never told to lose weight but I was told not to gain Um, And a lot of the girls um, on the team, you know, a lot of the older girls on the team would always be talking like it was constant diet culture, constant, like, this is what I've done. Um, And I was also told, which is a lot of crap now, um, that the tinier you are, the more agile you are, and you'll be able to execute certain moves um, a lot easier. I don't know where that theory came from, because now if you look at, you look at gymnasts and to me, they're powerful. They're muscular and, and strong. And that's how they should be, right? It's just, especially when you're doing these strong movements. Um, But you do hear um, massively. I mean, my, I did research at university on eating disorders and, dancing and gymnastics it's it's just ridiculous how many people that that go into that at a young age develop an eating disorder like you said because from a young age you're you're being criticized for your weight and it's not a case of lose weight but it's a case of don't gain weight so then you've got the home issues as well so um again how did you how did that escalate obviously Um, so from that point i mean i was 
how old was I? 11. I ended up having a traumatic accident um, on the uneven bars, which ended any sort of future with gymnastics. Um, I had to have surgery to correct it. And the initial surgeon uh, was negligent. And so because of that, I had to have two more surgeries to correct his negligence. Um, and I would say that that was probably the trigger to my first depressive episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> I, like I said, eating was always this challenge. Um, mm. But then gymnastics got taken from me. And I really liked gymnastics. I, well, I loved it. Um, and I used it as a stress relief. And I was validated by my coach. And I was validated by the other girls in the group. And then all of a sudden, this was taken away. Mm. Um, and then to add to that, I had to go through surgery, recover. Um, mm. And during that time, the doctor basically told me that my pain that I was experiencing was in my head. So, you know, as a kid, being 11 and knowing that you're in pain and having nightmares um, mm. and reliving the accidents, um, it hits differently. It really does. And, and you know, my parents... Obvi my parents and pediatrician obviously thought, okay, well, the surgeon's right. You know, um, there wasn't questioning a sur like the surgeon. So for a long time, I was left in this chronic state of pain um, and not eating because oh. I was uncomfortable. Um, and at the time too, I was being given meds to control this pain that was supposed to be in my head. It was bizarre. It was so bizarre. So you actually didn't ever plan to, well, it, I mean, nobody plans for anything disorder, but it was never the initial, I want to be skinny, you know, I want to look a certain way. It was actually something that had snowballed from this accident then the whole eating issues at home and then naturally you I, I guess am I right in saying that food became a fear probably because you were trying to um resist it because of how much it had been forced on you when you yeah. were younger and also you were depressed and everything else and altogether that that led to the anorexia I yes I I that's part of it but um my, uh, it was tough. Like it was my home growing up was very body image focused. Okay. Um, so my grandmother and my mother, you know, would talk about how family members looked, how they've gained weight or they've lost weight and how they look, you yeah. know, with the added weight or how great they looked now that they've lost. Um, my you know, my mom was always, um, I'm not going to use the word fit. She was naturally thin. Um, and she modeled, uh, she modeled for, for a few years. 
And there was always talk, like, she's like, I could eat whatever I want and not gain weight. And it, it was just this whole thing. Like, so I kind of admired that about her. And like, I liked looking through her pictures. Um, yeah. And I was proud of her. Um, but I didn't realize just how much I internalized that type of dialogue. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah. it just, it was always there. there. Like I, you know, and when I'm sharing my story with friends and through writing, it was like I was a perfect storm, basically. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's the genetic component. There's, you know, an environmental aspect of what can trigger bipolar. But it it just seems fitting that I would be diagnosed with something like this. Um, so you say that. So um, that's really interesting. So you had an eating disorder at um, what age do you think you had the eating disorder? Um, I started, my pediatrician started making comments. Um, like I wasn't, I wasn't gaining weight. I was always very petite. Um, we always had like meal supplements in the house. So if I wasn't eating, you know, I, I could have a shake and they tasted good. So I was just, okay. You know, I was, I was reluctant to doing that. Um, but yeah, I would say that high school was, high school. yeah. Okay. So that was the first experience of, of, with, of a mental health issue um when did the bipolar start to um like the symptoms start to show Um, what age would you think that was 17 17 and do you remember what those first symptoms were so i was um like I look back and I'm not really sure how um, I functioned, but I, uh, what, it looked like I was very productive. So um, I would say that my first experiences with it were more of a hypomanic state. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I had a few surgeries prior to 17 that caused depression and dissociation. Um, okay. So around the age of 17, I was working, I was, you know, doing a full high school course load, I had an active social life. Um, yeah. And yeah, like it was, it looked also productive. So here in Canada, well, specifically in Ontario, we had grade 13, um, which is now gone. Um, so like my grade 12 and 13 year looked great my marks were high I was getting a lot done um I was busy I was angry though there were parts of me that were very angry and again like I had a hard time finding my people I just always felt like I had this I was off yeah because it's interesting when you're talking about hypomania and obviously you know where you're where you're explaining that right now it sounds you know you you're getting you've got you're productive you've got loads going on you know on the on the outset that looks like you're higher you're just a high achiever 
So what were the what were the what were the negative symptoms was it the fact of the hypermania was it the fact that you were almost working too much that you were that you were burnt out what um i think so my entire grade 13 13th year i was hypomanic um i had organized a trip for friends of our um uh, friends of mine um you know for two weeks um so you know like i mean we were doing the year like the year end trip or the university end trip or not sorry not university high school um mm. and you know i was partying a lot mm-hmm. um during that time mdma ecstasy it was huge um yeah. do i think that had to do with the trigger yes um there were like grade 13 was interesting i mean i made honor roll i worked almost full time i had a boyfriend at the time and i was you know i i had friends um literally after my commencement my graduation i fell into depression um my yeah like, no, no, my entire state of being just shut down like i started becoming dissociated um and saying there's something wrong um and literally for 9 months i was um i was in a depressive psychosis like can you, i yeah can you explain a little bit more about what depressive psychosis is so I would say that it was more terrifying than manic psychosis um, in my experience. Um, I felt like an imposter. So basically, I felt like the world had changed and mm-hmm. I was still the same. Um, I didn't understand anything, like nothing made sense to me. If I watched a movie if i watched an old movie i could understand it but anything new any new music that came out any new movies that came out just i didn't get it um so you know i the sound of the phone ringing irritated me um sounds certain sounds irritated me i didn't want to talk to anybody i ended up literally staying in my room for 9 months um i never heard voices or like i never had any auditory hallucinations or visual hallucinations but you know i would continue to ask myself like i was in my head and i'd be like what is happening um mm-hmm. i had a lot of suicidal ideation okay um, a ton um and and you were you were on your own I was you were living with someone at this particular time who I was in my family home still so I was I was 18. Okay and did you tell your I mean your parents must have known about what was going on you were sat in your room for nine months yes so they knew and did they do anything about it did they try and support you so they tried um I think they tried the best they could. 
I was misdiagnosed. Like I had always seen kind of like child psychotherapist. Um, my parents had decided that I should see a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist that they had chosen for me was not just a psychiatrist, but a Catholic priest as well. Um, not a mood specialist, not a pediatric psychiatrist. Um, and he, he basically said that I'm depressed and I have anxiety and that I experienced a little bit of trauma from my childhood. Um, and then the bulk of the trauma was from an accident I had. Basically, it was a joke. Mm. <laughs> um, and to appease my parents, I went to see him. Um, so, you know, their level of help was not the type of help that I needed. Mm. Um, yeah. And like I said, too, you know, you go back and you do research. And I started to learn about it as an adult. And there were red flags everywhere, like um, in terms of being able to diagnose a child. Like, I mean, bipolar was quite new or not new, but there was little known about it. Um, yeah. And so hit this, the psychiatrist not being um, a mood specialist or a pediatric psychiatrist would never have seen or mm -hmm. never have picked up on the red flags. Um, yeah. So, you know, so carry on. Um, so with, in terms of my parents trying to support me, they were there, um, you know, they tried to get me hospitalized. Um, however, the, the team that was there said, if you're able to manage with her at home, she is probably better there. She may get worse in the hospital. I wasn't, um, I wasn't acting in any sort of aggressive manner. I just didn't talk. I was non-communicative. I was numb. Um, and so they said, you know, like if it, if it's, if it's in their capacity to care for me at home, it would be much better. Okay. Um, so that was for nearly a year that he was in episode what was it that got you out of that depressive episode so um we had my parents had taken us on vacation um and I believe it was for two weeks and during that time on vacation I love being outside I've always loved being outside so I started swimming I started becoming active um and I started to lose the weight that I had gained over yeah. the, the time I was um, depressed and it started falling off quickly. Um, so when we got back from vacation, I started walking. So my walks went from an hour to two hours to the entire day almost. Like I could walk from where I lived um, to the city and back. Um, and then it turned into bike riding and rollerblading. And I just was out of the house and 
needed to be active. Um, so everybody was like, oh, wow, look at you. Like, you know, I had comments from my grandmother that, you know, I'm looking better. And again, it's all about weight. Like in my head, I wasn't. It was basically how I looked. Yeah. Um, if anything, if they, like I said, if I had been diagnosed um, and they were watching for bipolar, they would have realized I, if I had known anything about it, I was on an upswing. So um, the exercise started triggering like hypomanic behavior. Um, okay. And again, literally I went from not doing anything to doing everything um, um, in a very short amount of time. So, yeah. And how long do these hypomanic phases, obviously some of them last for, as, as you've said, like two years, but like typically throughout your um throughout your diagnosis with bipolar what what is like this what is a typical or average amount of time that you will have go through each episode i would say the mania um the mania was months so my first manic experience um after that nine month depressive episode I would say lasted about six months and, oh. and it quickly what like you know after every manic episode there is a crash and I crash hard like there is no you know there is no soft landing or like a progressive soft land it's like it's like I hit the ground and shatter and, and what would that look like? Um, so, Into behaviors. Um, so again, uh, very talkative. So I was young with the the, the first um, manic episode. Um, I was the depressive episode went from eighteen to nineteen, and then nineteen um, to twenty was my mania. Um, and basically mm. very talkative, yeah. huge sense of self. I could do everything. My ideas were um, amazing. They were, um, you know, I thought that they were achievable. Um, all mm. I wanted to do was be out. My form of addiction during that time was shopping. It's always, yeah. shopping has always been an issue for me, not only because, as a symptom but you know I was taught you know from a young age if you're happy let's go shopping if you're sad let's go shopping um yeah. you know that so it fed into that so that that was my that was my addiction um you know um so you would go on these like in these mania periods you go on these huge spending sprees with money that you don't even have so at that time I didn't have a credit card but what I was doing was going into my parents' bank account. Wow. So you yeah. were you were really reckless behavior to, to really, to, really reckless. It's this addiction. And what did your parents do when they found out that you were going into their bank account? 
um, so during that time, I was still depressed. Like I was kind of on an upswing. Um, mm. I was still quite depressed. And honestly, I think, I think I was doing it just to see if I could get a reaction because so much of the world wasn't making sense to me. Um, I had long hair and I literally cut it off. Like I had a short pixie cut after. Um, but yeah, my parents, my parents kind of were like, you know, we can get authorities involved. And I said, okay. Like, I was just like, okay, get, get authorities involved. Like, you know, I, I was trying to see what was going to happen. Mm. Um, because I felt nothing. Like I felt numb. Um, and then as the mania progressed, um, I mean, I didn't have access to unlimited money. And like I said, I didn't have a credit card at the time, but my grandparents were very willing to feed it. Um, right. Without knowing that this was, this yeah. was essentially feeding an addiction, yeah. but they would have wanted to see you out of that period of your life where you were depressed and and they probably thought well if this makes her happy then yes. let's keep giving her money because we know that shopping makes her happy so then it's just right. a suspicious cycle isn't it right um, wow so so this was in your younger um sort of like late you know teenage years then into young adulthood what's been the the journey after that so yeah. So, I mean, at, it was a combination of things. My mother had put me on a waiting list uh, for an eating disorder program. And it so happened to be this, the psychiatrist that headed off um, that program was also a mood specialist. And um, when my first meeting with her was um, while I was still very depressed um and in my, in a psychosis um and i had put on weight so mm -hmm. you know my mother was present she had explained the weight fluctuation she explained that you know mm -hmm. i had gone down to 86 pounds um mm -hmm. at one point um mm -hmm. and now the weight gain that the doctor was seeing was you know, it, it happened during this depressive stage. So literally that psychiatrist saw me go from depression to mania within eight weeks and a ton of weight fell off. So because I was at an age where I didn't have to have my mom present anymore, I was treated as an adult. Um, that's when I started getting help, more so the help I needed. Um, I started staying consistent. You know, what my doctors were saying to me um, made a lot more sense. The psychiatrist my parents had me seeing told them that he didn't think that I was bipolar. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't think that I was bipolar. He didn't think that um, the diagnosis was correct. Um, which I found interesting, you know. So what, what was it that he thought that you had then if you didn't Honestly, think that you were? I don't know what he thought. He became, he was friends with my parents. 
Um, I don't think that much of our conversations were ever kept confidential. Um, mm. You know, I, my mom liked to know what was going on. She kind of inserted herself into certain situations. The type of relationship I have with my parents is, is quite strained now. Um, I would almost say that there is no relationship. Um, but yeah, like, so um, I, I think the type of help that I found for myself um, as a young adult really kind of put me on my path. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah. what is it that you do now to manage um, bipolar? And also, I guess, um, I, I mean, I know that I would say that I'm fully recovered from my eating disorder. Um, I still struggle with periods of my life when things are hard and I'm stressed. I find that it's a sense of control for me to go back to exercise and food um, because it is ultimately a control thing, isn't it? In eating disorder. And it's um, so, yeah, I guess the question is when when you are struggling, how do you manage both the bipolar and I guess also to an extent that the eating disorder as well, which I, which I don't believe um, ever leaves you. I I fully agree. I I think that the eating disorder for me um, is a comfortable state, and yeah. um, it's always there. It's always been there. Um, I suffered with uh, postpartum depression. Right. Okay. Um, so during that time, it was a struggle to eat. Um, mm. Anytime I had little blips um, in my mood, um, it became a struggle to eat. If I had any heightened or elevated mood, I just wouldn't feel like eating. I was just busy. Mm. Um, when I was, if I experienced a sadder mood, um, I would eat, but then I would feel guilty. So mm. it's like the feelings are still there. Like it's a, it's a constant um, readjustment of thought patterns. Um, yeah. And just yeah. trying to stay focused and trying not to let, you know, food become the, the enemy. Um, exercise yeah. as well was a huge thing for me. Yeah. If I do too much exercise, it can trigger a manic episode. Um, okay. So I've had to learn how to find activity, activity in other ways. Like I'm, uh, I love practicing yoga, um, Pilates. I do a lot of walking. Um, I used to run, but my knees hurt. And over the pandemic, we um, got a Peloton which I love. <laughs> um, but again, I really have to watch my level of activity. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And in terms of life now, you said that you've not had a depressive episode for what was it, eight years? Um, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been eight years. I do have flat periods. Yes, I have flat periods. Um, okay. And those are difficult too for me. 
because then, because then there's nothing really going on. And I'm not like, I would say that the last eight years of my life, you know, I appreciate it. Um, and you know, there it's been consistent and, you know, I've been happy and I've, you know, been present with my kids and my husband. Um, but yeah, like I, I have had elevated, I've had a hypomanic episode, but again, mm -hmm. I literally messaged, I was able to email my psychiatrist and I said, this is what's happening. And we adjusted some meds and, uh, it came under control fairly quickly. Um, but like I said, there's always a crash. There's the yeah. mania and there's always a crash. So I did experience a bit of a low period, but like I said, because I had gotten on top of it so quickly, um, they was able to be stabilized. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, I mean, your story is absolutely amazing. I could literally talk to you all day. Um, I think that you're an absolute inspiration and it's amazing that you've got a perfectly normal, whatever normal is, because normal doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, life now. And, um, but you're able to function. You, Yeah, you've got, you've got a family and your proof that it can get better so I guess for like one of the final questions is if there is somebody listening to this right now that is struggling with um, whatever it is, maybe a very similar experience to what you've been talking about today, what is the advice that you would give them? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, it's a lot of, so for me, it's a, it was a lot of trial and error. Um, mm -hmm. I think that accepting your diagnosis and working from there um, is a great place to start. Yeah. Which means, you know, which meant for me being consistent with my medication. Um, mm. Completely cutting out certain certain substances from my life for a long period of time um, in yeah. order to manage um, bipolar. Um, my lifestyle had to change, um, but really also advocating for yourself and mm -hmm. advocating and trying to find a support group of people that can either empathize or that know exactly what you're going through because you know, as a teenager, I thought, I literally thought I had lost my mind. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, it, it's so true. It, it, it was tough. Like my life, bipolar profoundly changed my life. There, you know, I've had to grieve the life that I thought I would have. I, you know, I had, I, I've, you know, I've, yeah, so I think the, the, the acceptance of the condition of the diagnosis is, is key. Um, mm -hmm. And then slowly, like, because it's not fast, and slowly advocating for yourself and, you know, trying to figure out what works for you. 
and yeah. that medication, um, if you need to take it, then you need to take it. Like, I mean, there's no harm. There's no shame in taking it. There's no shame in talking to people about it. Um, yeah. Or having a dialogue and actually being loud about it because this is how you get help. Um, yeah. I think, I think one point that you mentioned now, which is, which is so important and this, this is what this whole um, podcast and, and dose community about is, is making people feel um it is making yourself feel less alone and and heard and seen because you exactly what you said about feeling crazy um is exactly how i felt every time i've had some sort of mental health experience and it's so easy to assume that you are the only person that is experiencing all of these symptoms and especially when it's a symptom that you're not used to you have never had before you know like dissociation and it's so scary so to be able to share your experience and share your story and then also see that other people are having the exact same thing I think is one of the most amazing things about Instagram and podcasts is something that when I was younger and probably when when you were also younger and had these mental health issues none of this was available and I think this is going to completely change, hopefully, um, mental health and and reduce stigmatization and, and ultimately make people um, understand themselves more and not think that they're an absolute, um, they're going absolutely crazy for experiencing these things. And actually, these are all completely normal responses to often adverse events in our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah and and also understanding there might be someone listening to this right now that maybe has some of the symptoms that you have and could actually lead them to go and get some support and maybe get the diagnosis of bipolar that they've been thinking that they might have for years and and this could be the, the thing that pushes them so before we um we wrap up I believe that you also have an Instagram um, where you share some of your experience. So what is the name of that Instagram for everyone listening right now so that they can go and give it a follow? Um, and yeah, and, 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 and I know that you share some amazing stuff around bipolar and eating disorders in your experience. Um, so it's mindful movement for mania. Um, and between each word, there's an underscore amazing and when did you set up this account it'll be almost a year I mean like it was I had a personal account I don't like having many accounts open I don't have another personal account other than this um but yeah it was about a year ago when I started um when I changed my platform you know um I'll I'll, sorry no no sorry go on um so I'll post personal things pictures some of my kids my kids and my husband are are private so you know I will put snippets of my current life in there but most of it is of my experience my past experience with my diagnosis um and you know sarcasm a little bit of humor (laughs) amazing and have you um have you found that having that community has helped I have your yeah yeah i i have um i just i feel less alone and also 
bringing up um, the 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 symptoms that people that people with bipolar living with bipolar experience um, that I would never bring up like hypersexuality um, mm. you know substance abuse like it's it's interesting um, because those were things that I was always nervous to talk about and yeah. there have been some great writers um, and researchers that have explained it perfectly yeah 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 absolutely. So, yes, um you know i i find that it helps um i've kind of you know disposed of a lot of the garbage that made me feel like my life could never be you know something that um i could be proud of um yeah so yeah my i would say that that um it's it's very encouraging and it's nice to get some feedback as well but it's also nice to like have family and friends recognize um and learn about what's been happening yes absolutely because i think um they can only know and, and do so much and only understand so much but i think sometimes reading things and and listening to things um, can be really helpful because not everybody will understand mental health um, no. and we can't can't assume that everyone will understand mental health um, which is why conversations like this are so important um, for people to really start to understand exactly what these disorders are and how awful they can be and how you know they can literally completely change your life like you said you know you look back and grieve the life that you could have had because of bipolar but equally I guess it makes you who you are. It makes you a stronger, more resilient. And for me, most importantly, it makes you a much more empathetic person um, because you can really, when you've been in that really low place, you'll never want anyone to experience that again. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you so, so much for being on this podcast. Um, You're absolutely amazing. I've loved listening to your story. Honestly, I think you're such an inspiration and you are proof that even in the darkest moments, you can find light and you can get better. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. Take care.